Hey, how's it going, guys? Welcome to a special playoff edition of Five Minute Major Radio. This is Dave, of course, and you know, I don't know if any of you saw my Facebook post, but my featured guest on Saturday's episode, Jake Harrison, is now a full time member of the Five Minute Major Family Radio. So, welcome, Jake. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity in joining the Five Minute Major podcast team. So, it's good. as we know, you know, first based on what happened Saturday with that five nothing win over the New York Rangers. The Flyers clinched a spot in the 2018 Cup playoffs, and they are playing our bitterly hated cross-state rival, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And that series starts Wednesday night in Steeltown. I'm very excited and happy to get for this. You know, this is always the best, ideally, matchup. The NHL loves it because it's going to make a lot of money off of it. You know, that's what Gary Bettman wants, of course. It's going to be very exciting, you know. For the Flyers to win and have a good chance of being the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Stars have to show up. You know, Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, Sean Couturier, Shane Gosberg, Knechny, Simmons, Provrov. I can keep on going down the list. The Stars mainly, but the rest of the team needs to show up because statistically wise, the Pittsburgh Penguins own the Philadelphia Flyers this season. The Flyers were 0-2-2 against the team. And pretty much in all major statistical categories, the Penguins led. The only things the Flyers led in, um, had a better thing than the Penguins in, were goals against and face-off percentage in the season series. The Penguins led the Penguins led in goals, power play percentage, penalty kill percentage, and point percentage. Um, so even NHL.com has statistical advantage Pittsburgh Penguins. So, you know, it's that's going to be imperative and important. Also, a big thing is goaltending must show up. Whether it's Brian Elliott or, God forbid, he gets hurt again, Peter Morazic comes in net. Whoever's in net for the Flyers has to outduel Matt Murray. That's going to be a very big thing going on. So it's going to be interesting. Also, you know, even strength play is going to be an issue. The Flyers are going to have to play the Pens. You know, ideally, you want the Flyers to play on an even strength play. You want to keep everything disciplined. You don't want to have the Penguins go on their power play. You know, you, you if anything, you the Flyers want them getting the Penguins to play undisciplined, and you want to have the Flyers on the power play. Because the Flyer power play towards the end of the year was getting hot and getting better. And even the PK was getting there, but I just don't think, you know, that the Flyers' PK can keep up with the Penguins' power play. It's got too many stars. The Penguins, so they have, besides you know, the Crosby and the Malkin, they have the Gensels, they have the Sherry, the Kunackle, um, Haglin, Hornquist. They have all these other matchups. Chris Letang on defense, you know, where they just, they're just better. There's no there's no ifs, and or buts, and ways around it. The Pittsburgh Penguins are a better hockey team. It's what you hope the Flyers can become. And they were seeing the, 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 the foundation of this current Flyers team. Anything you want to add to that, Jake? No, I think you. Uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Uh, a lot of key points and key uh, strategies were named right there. Um, I couldn't have said it better myself. Glad we're. This is a good start. Green right away with the host. You yeah, know? we're not butting heads yet, Dave. Oh, we will eventually. Right. We know. We know. So you know, just going touching back on that on the statistics a little bit. You know, the, the power play and everything. Um, the Penguins' power play in this series was 26.2%. Their penalty kill was 80%. So even when the Flyers' power play got on there, the Pens usually killed it. And the Penguins' power play from it scored at will. And it was Crosby and Malkin and Kessel doing their damage. 
So it's going to be definitely a thing where the Flyers have to keep their eye on. And normally in years past, it's been the Flyers going under the Penguins skin. And this year it's been reversed. The Penguins have gone under the Flyers skin. And that's, that cannot happen. You know, I personally have the Flyers winning this series in six games. So I'm hoping they can turn it around, build off their play, getting into the playoffs, and they can beat the Pens. Because we've seen that the Flyers can play the Pens. And in the last couple games, the Flyers probably deserve to win those games, but their undisciplined play and their bad penalty kill cost the day. And, you know, and also, you know, going into other things too besides that, you know, the Flyers need to test Matt Murray. He has he's had a very interesting year with some highs and some lows. You know, the lows of his dad passing early in the year, which is something tragic. You never want to have a player or, you know, ever lose a family member. He couldn't find a backup for him for a while, so I'm sure that had to play in his head a little bit. You know, shots, 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 and shots, and more shots on top of that. And it's important, you know, the Flyers can't, you know, dilly-dally and wait and wait for the perfect zone because that perfect shooting zone doesn't really happen in the playoffs where they make your money are those greasy goals in the dirty areas down low, being in the crease, legally being in the crease, might add. You know, goal interference is a hot topic these days in the NHL. You know, play behind that board battles. You know, the hard work, the team game that is going to make the Flyers successful. You have to have a team game. You know, and sometimes, you know, I'm worried about that at times with Dave Hackstall because he has to outcoach Matt's. Uh, Coach Sullivan in Pittsburgh, you know, they are the defending two-time Stanley Cup champions. So the Penguins, they have this method that works, and they know what to do to win because, you know, it's hard to win the Stanley Cup once. It's even harder to do it a second time. They're trying to three-peat, and you know they're going to stop at nothing to get in their way. Yeah, I definitely think that um, there is a very large incentive to start a modern-day dynasty. I mean, you have the the rich history of teams like the New York Islanders and the Edmonton Oilers who essentially split the 1980s and Stanley Cup championships. So, I mean, the Penguins, for sure, are looking to tap into some, you know, dynasty-esque historical factor of being a three-time, three-consecutive Stanley Cup champion, <clears throat> especially with the likes of Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, that would do nothing but add to their legacies as players. So I think there's definitely an underlying incentive for them to go the extra mile and, you know, play as if it was the first one or as it is the last one. It's yeah. always, it's always you know, the incentive to get the big trophy at the end of the year and win the Stanley Cup. That's right now, you know, the salary cap era, because those Islanders and Oilers teams were in the pre-salary cap era of the NHL. The modern salary cap era, you know, franchise teams considered the Chicago Blackhawks, who for the first time, and as long as I can remember lately, they're not in the playoffs this year. Thinking, thinking about that, though, in about, like, a six-year span, they were able to win three cups, taking a year and a half, two years in between. But if Pittsburgh wins again... That's, that's, that's three in a that's row. That's three consecutive. That's that's not that doesn't go without saying. They actually, not to not to say that that one ups or, you know, outperforms the Blackhawks victories in their cups. It may be um, <clears throat> it, it it does kind of in a way because you know the Blackhawks took that every other every two years to win their championships. 
But the Penguins, you know, they played a lot of hockey the past two years. And eventually that's going to catch up with you. That's what I'm kind of hoping. That's it, going to be a good one. That's going to aid the side of the Flyers. You know, I'm hoping the Flyers can play on that. The Penguins, you know, like I said, it's a lot of hockey. They're, they have Humans have to get tired at some point. When you look at it, you know, the, the term, the perfect human is said a lot in hockey. And, you know, and the perfect athlete and... Look at a lot of hockey players. You know, it's an 82 regular game, regular season, plus another two months of playoffs. And then you have your off season. So the fact that they kind of they did that two years in a row, now three is going to be even harder. And it's going to be something that hasn't been done since the 80s. So it's definitely going to be interesting. These uh, these Penguins, they're definitely trying to look to make history. Um, <clears throat> and it should be interesting. But I, I do think... If there is a team, you know, why not the Philadelphia Flyers to come in and, you know, create a rift into that potential plan? Yeah. I I do definitely think that, you know, if if there is a team, the Flyers could be very well that team to take the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions out of the mix. And it's it's nothing more than what the Flyers court would want to do. Because, you know, a lot of players may be friends off the ice here and there. Like, you've seen moments of, Giroux and Crosby play in the World Cup, and the mm-hmm. not, not not the they did play in the World Cup, but the World Championship a couple of years they played together. You know they're high five and having fun. You have to think that felt weird though. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. being the interstate rivals, individual rivals, they're both where they see. You know, there's going to be that one. You know, of course, as, as bad as the Flyers want to beat the Penguins, Penguins want to beat the Flyers. Just the case because you know the teams literally do hate each other, and I you could probably draw a line down the state of Pennsylvania where support goes, mm-hmm. like right through state college. Right in the middle. So it, it's going to be interesting, you know. You hope everything you compare, you know. Drew definitely had a better year points-wise than both Malkin and Crosby. But, you know, that's Malkin and Crosby are, like, right behind Drew in it. And there was Phil Kessel, too, but the Flyers had Voracek. You know, they're very similar teams. But they only finished a couple points apart from each other in the standings. So there's this similar play, you know. I still would give goaltending edge to Pittsburgh, obviously, because, you know, it's Matt Murray. But where I give, you know, the kind of the, the little asterisk here next to his name is both rounds of the playoffs where the Penguins won their cups, Murray only played about half the playoffs. Flurry, who's now Las Vegas Golden Knight, played the first half of those playoffs. Four. So you're wondering, can he keep that load going on? So that would be interesting because after Matt Murray – You've got Tristan Jari and Casey Dis- and Casey DeSmith. And so, you know, I don't know how comfortable Penguins fans are. You know, if there are any, any Penguins fans listening out there, let me know what you think about either of these two options. You know, Tristan Jari was a star in the CHL. So, you know, you never know. But, you know, I, I definitely think Penguins fans and the Penguins organization would be much more comfortable with a Matt Murray in that. <clears> oh, <throat> uh, yeah. It's, um... I think part of it is consistency that, you know, maybe uh, Matt Murray has been, you know, a consistent point or a consistent um, performer in the Penguins lineup in the goal versus the Flyers. They kind of had this, I mean, this has been sort of like in years past and maybe even within the last decade, an issue for the Flyers, especially going into a playoff series is trying to find the goaltender. Who's that goalie? There is, there is definitely, you know, in years past, we've talked about the tandems and the, the goalie tricycles and what have you. And I I would say it's no different than, you know, this instance right here where you have the, you know, a healthy Brian Elliott coming back into the mix. And, 
you know, the acquisition of Mrazek back at the deadline. And, you know, you have those two goalies that you could take into the playoffs, as well as, you know, reserve goaltenders like Michael Neuvereth, granted, good health, and what have you. Right, now, <clears throat> other name to throw out there would be Alex Lyon. Alex Lyon, for sure. And that, you know, that, that does pose a question for the Philadelphia Flyers as far as mashing up goaltending in a series is because the Penguins definitely have that comfort in the consistency or they have that comfort in the um, the performance of their starter. They know how to play in the playoffs, for, as is Matt Murray. For sure. Versus, you know, a Flyers team that, I mean, I guess you could safely say that they don't necessarily have a starting goaltender. You know, there's not, I mean, you would could say that, you know, Brian Elliott is the starting goaltender. Maybe he has the contract of one, and that's what the Flyers' intentions are for him. But, you know, based upon, you know, health and factors throughout the season, you know, we've had, we've seen, you know, an array of different goaltenders. I mean, you've seen Alex Lyon this year. You've seen Michael Neuvirth. You've seen Brian Elliott. You've seen um, <clears throat> Peter Morasic. That's four different goaltenders you saw over the course of, you know, what, nine months of hockey. Yeah. So, I mean, these, these are all factors that play into the goaltending situation in the playoffs. And I'm not concerned about it. I definitely think that the Flyers, you know, with Elliott or with Morazic, I'm confident. And I'm definitely confident in the team in front of them to get the job done. But, you know, it definitely has this, this edge that it presents for the Pittsburgh Penguins over the Philadelphia Flyers, I will say. That's why I'm happy Elliott came back before the playoffs started. He came back in that game against Carolina last Thursday. He didn't look so great in that game. He looked pretty good against the Rangers and got, got that big, that you know, that donut on the score of that shutout, you know? <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's very important to confidence go for because you want that guy because you want to build from the net out. You know, going with the contracts of the Flyers have had this goalie controversy and this goalie issue ever since Ron Hextall really was the last starting goalie we had. Before that, it was Pelly Lindbergh, you know, rest in peace. And then before that, you know, it was Bernie Braun. There hasn't really been anybody since then. The Penguins, you know, they had their goalie who won the Cups in the 90s with, and then they had Marc-Andre Fleury until Matt Murray came around. And just want to talk about a little bit about Murray here, you know, just showing how kind of his year was. This year he was 27 and 16 and 3. He had a 292 goals against average and a 907 save percentage, which those are about average numbers. And they're prop, you know, comparing them to uh, Brian Elliott, he played 42 games, was 23, 11, and 7 with a 2.66 goals against average and a 909 save percentage. So Elliott's number is actually better. But when you look at Mrazek, he was played 17 games, 15 and six. He's 15 six, and um, I'm sorry, he played 15 games. He was six six and three with a 3.22 goals against average and an 8.91 save percentage. But a lot of those numbers come from him being on a very poor Detroit Red Wings team. His numbers did get a little bit better with Philadelphia, but you know it's clear that when the Flyers made it known that Brian Elliott was going to be their guy going into the playoffs. So maybe there's an edge in goaltending the Flyers in this battle. But I still I, I hold that with a grain of salt because we've seen what Matt Murray can do. Well, I would definitely I agree with what you're saying, but also it really depends. I can see it presenting an edge for maybe the Penguins, but also it, it could it could go both ways. You know, you could have a confident Penguins team coming off of a two time Stanley Cup victory going you know for a third. And they're coming in against, you know, their cross-state rivals, so it's always a heated game, and that's a factor. And, you know, you look at the standings, and you look at, you know, 
records and you look at statistics over the season and you look at those as advantages, but you know, that could be, that could, you know, bode in the flyers favor. You kind of get maybe a comfortable penguins team to come in and thinking that they're, you know, just waiting on the second round and maybe a, you know, comfortable penguins goaltender coming in, not really knowing what he's facing on the other side of the ice that could potentially play a good factor for the Philadelphia flyers in their ability to, um, <clears throat> take advantage of the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's definitely very interesting because both teams came in the playoffs hot. They both ended the year on important big victories. The Penguins, obviously, their last game of the year was Friday night. They got in. They got in a couple weeks ago, but they also, they clinched home ice for the playoffs. As long as they don't play a team higher than the standings. And the Flyers, obviously, they clinched on Saturday. So both teams are coming in hot in that dominant play, really. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, personally, I had the Flyers winning in six games. I think they're going to be able to take it to the Pittsburgh Penguins, and I think you know, you're know you going to have Claude Drew, Simmons, Couturier, Voracek, because they were all there in 2012 when they beat the Penguins in six. And you know the Wells Fargo Center is going to be rocking when they get back to town. I think, you know, Brian Elliott, once he gets on a roll, you know, we always called him the seed base of the West until they switched conferences. And when Brian Elliott gets on a roll, man. You saw him in a couple of those runs with St. Louis in the playoffs where he was pretty much lights out. So, I, you know, I'm saying the Flyers in six, I'm going to stick to that. You know, you know it, it would definitely be nice, but, you know, as, as soon as, you know, I'm, I am saying the Flyers in six, but it could easily just be the Penguins in six or seven or five. or I don't think anyone's going to get swept. I don't think they're, they're two good teams, and it's not going to be that easy of a hockey, mm-hmm. hockey games. Yeah, I um, I think a lot of good points were made there by Dave. Um, a lot I agree with, but I I think my personal selection would have to be the the Flyers and seven. I'm gonna go with the Flyers and seven. Winning it out in Pittsburgh. Winning out in Pittsburgh. So here's my here's my theory about that. You see, with with these two teams, they play each other so well on certain dates. So like you know, the Flyers play the Pittsburgh Penguins really well out in Pittsburgh in their own building, and the you know the Penguins have played the Flyers well in their building too. And it's almost like in this series, just because of the history and you know perhaps the bad blood and the animosity between the teams, I think that like the home ice could play an advantage usually. But it's almost like you know with the way these teams play against each other, any game's a home game. It doesn't really matter. I don't really think I don't really think that like home ice advantage will factor into the series. It really about it really goes down to what happens on the ice. In those games, and I think it's going to be a battle, night in and night out, and I think it's going to come down to a seventh game, for sure. Like I mean, the Penguins are a good team; they're a strong, they are a fast team, and they are like a talented team. So when it comes down to it, the Flyers are going to have to work hard to contain all that talent and that speed. And I'm not saying that the Flyers can't match it, but when it comes down to it, you know. You're gonna have to bet, play your opponent the way your opponent Hack's plays. Gonna have, Hack is gonna have his work. Oh, out definitely, for him. that is a factor. I'm, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers are gonna have to look for, you know, acceptable coaching from their coach, Dave Hackstall. And I shouldn't say acceptable, but more adequate coaching. And that's not necessarily a bust, but just I think, as I've discussed before, maybe the previous episode uh, about deployment of players. You know, it's it's crucial, especially in the playoffs. It's this is a crucial factor of the playoffs and being able to match lines against especially a team like Pittsburgh you know you, you have to beat them in all the categories 
let alone, you know, the categories they're weak at, if you can name one. But, you know, for instance, here's here's an example. You know, we have we have Sean Couturier, who always, always has a tendency to play Evgeny Malkin well. <clears throat> and Malkin is just kind of a guy with no exception of it just being Couturier, but just in general, where he is shut down and he feels as though that he's unable to play the game, he starts to kind of crumble, you know, and his performance will take a hit for that. And he'll make, you know, irresponsible plays and he'll start to take penalties for his team. And the Flyers are going to have to take factors like that and play into it. It's just, these are all, there's many different ways, many different ways, but I think it all really comes down to, you know, what happens on the ice and what team comes out to play the other. It's definitely going to be interesting because also in years past where, where when we had Giroux on the uh, center and I a wing, he always played Crosby really well. Mm-hmm. You know, you always remember that big the, hit. The shift. The hit, the shift, they say, on him in that final game six in, in Philly in 2012. But then you're wondering, though, know, right now your, your center line goes Couturier, Patrick, then Val Fopla. I don't know if I want Val Fopla because – Dave Haxtell has been using that third line of Konechny, Philpola, and Simmons as a shutdown line, per se. But I don't think, you know, not that any of them are bad defensive players. You know, Philpola and Simmons both kill penalties. Konechny's defensive game is getting better every day. You'll probably see Konechny in the Flyers' penalty kill maybe next year, maybe in the playoffs it comes down to it. I just don't think Val Philpola has the foot speed and the strength necessarily to come up and defend against a Crosby. You know, it's it's going to be a tall task, but maybe you put Patrick Lindblom and Voracek up against a Crosby or a Malkin line. You know, play play first line to first line, second line to second line, and third line to third line. Like, don't try and overthink a match too hard. Just play strength on strength. It's And that that's going to be hard, especially out in Pittsburgh, because that's when you have the home ice advantage and you have the last change being the home team. It'll definitely be easier doing it in Philadelphia. But we'll just, we'll just have to see how it's going to play out. But it's definitely by one area of concern. Defense, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, besides Chris Letang, who they really have, that's really a standout. Ole Mata's kind of been bouncing up. He's, he's had a, a good year this year. Brian Dumoulin hasn't really been what they thought he would be, but he's been okay. Justin Schultz has kind of reformed his career a little bit in the Pittsburgh but, you know, I almost want to give the defense an edge to the Flyers. But then the, all the critics of the Penguins the past few years always said, is their defense good enough? And what happened? The Pittsburgh Penguins just deplooned. They, they platooned a rotation of eight guys out there, and they got the job done. So it's going to be interesting. Ideally, you know, everyone knows how I feel. I would want to have Robert Hag back in the lineup for this series, especially because of his physical dominance. He's, you know, when you play Robert Hag, you know you played Robert Hag. I don't know when you played Brandon Manning that you knew you played Brandon Manning. So they'll be interesting. Uh, but then, you know, then if you're going to swap out Manning and Hag, what are you going to do with the rest of the D pairs? Because the Flyers don't like Gudis and Hag. Even though I think that sounds pretty good. You know, Hextall and Hack don't really agree with that. And I like the other two D pairs. I like how, you know, you got Pro Robin Ghost and then Sanheim and McDonald. McDonald's actually, ever since he got paired with Sandheim, has he hasn't made those McDonald plays. When he's been on the ice with Sandheim, I think he's played better because he's knowing he's playing with a rookie and he has to play smart and he can't afford to make these dumb errors. 
The only time in past games where I've seen McDowell make these dumb, stupid errors and plays have been when he's been on the ice with other defensemen. That wasn't an, an Ivan Provorov or a Shane Gusper. It's been when he's been on the ice with Manning or Gudis where he's gone, oh, that's a McDonald play. You don't see that with Sanheim. So it's going to be interesting. And it, I know the Flyers aren't really, really ready to throw Sanheim out in the penalty kill. Neither am I. He's more so an offensive two-way defenseman now. The defensive game is going to come with him. But at least he's playing. That's the way I look at it. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. Where And also in the fourth line, you know, what are they going to do is – Lawton good to go. He kind of missed the last game with an injury, I believe. You know, you got Matt Reed, Dale Weiss, Gary Letary. There's a lot of options you can throw into there that work. So it's, you know, maybe get Taylor Lear back in there. Like you said, the Penguins are a fast team. Maybe try match speed on speed. Maybe pull out a Dale Weiss, per se, or a Yuri Letary to get Lear's foot speed back in. But also, you know, where some areas that Taylor lacks might be his defensive play. You know, oh, Yuri Lutera and Adele Weiss, that's one of the better things they're good at. You know, I keep Matt Reed in the lineup. My question mark on the bottom six forwards is going to be with that, the Lear Lutero Weiss area. Well, you know, to kind of piggyback off of what you said about Matt Reed, you know, if you want to go back to playoff history, serious history, especially against the Penguins. Oh, he was phenomenal. Matt Reed, we, we had a very phenomenal experience with Matt Reed, like you said. Um, he he was part of that regime of Penguin killers, especially in 2012. And I think, you know, what better time to see a resurgence in your career, but more so just to see a player who's familiar with a team, especially in that format, and be able to put them out there, you know, and like as a, a third or fourth line player and the more depth position for him than maybe it was at that point in time. But, you know, he, you know, it's there. It's the same guy. We're still talking about Matt Reed here and, you know, he gets good looks. So as you know, they say in the money movie, or Moneyball, he gets on base. He gets on base. That's right. And that's the thing. Matt Reed, you know, he's in a contract here. He is an unrestricted free agent come this summer. He's also, he's exiting the prime of his career. You know, he, he was only covered in the NHL because he was a college free agent. He was a 24, a 23-year-old or a 25-year-old rookie. He didn't win the Calder's rookie year, which a lot of us Flyers fans were kind of up in arms about because he was that good. But as he's got older, he's lost his scoring touch. He's become more of a defensive specialist, so, you know. For some reason, the Flyers sent him down to the Phantoms for the majority of this year, and they called him up early in the year, so he can't even go back down to the Phantoms and play in the playoffs. He's ineligible to play in the American League now at this point. So he's here to say, you know, if Matt Reed has a good series and a good playoff, he'll probably earn himself another contract, maybe not with the Flyers, but another team. And I hope he kind of – that's of course, it has to be in the back of his head. So we'll see where it goes, you know. I don't really want to see him in the top six, keep him down in the – that third, fourth line range. Um, you know, the good thing is about Mike, you know, other thing portraying to another player is we have Michael Roffel, who knows how to play on any line. And we've got him on contract for another couple of good years, for I think for like one or two more years, he's on our books at a pretty decent salary range. So that's a good thing. You know, him and G have been playing well. They, they were phenomenal Saturday. So it's just, you know, there's only really minor tweaks that the Flyers need to make. But if they even make them all, this is just, you know, Jake and I's opinion. And sometimes we're like, a, it can be a bit opinionated and a bit uh, critiqueful of Dave Hacksaw. You know, I feel we feel as though Ron Hacksaw makes the right decisions and tries to have the best players on the ice. 
But Ron Hexall can't always, per se, pull a Billy Bean, to make another Moneyball reference here, and go and tell Dave, this is what I want you to do, or else I'm going to take said player away. Because you can't really take said player away in the playoffs, because it's kind of all hands on deck at this point. It's a very important team game, and you want to keep that going. Well, I'm glad that you got your Moneyball reference out clearly and understandably. I'm just sitting here fighting to sneeze off this whole podcast. Keeps creeping up on me. Worst time. That's terrible. Uh, here, here it is. Here it is. All right, I got it. I got it. Right, that's got good. It. That's good. All right, cool. Thank God. But yeah, there's there's a lot of factors, you know, that are going to play into this series. And I think one of the biggest things is, you know, matching the depth that the Penguins have. You know, Dave, Dave, you know, listed a bunch of factors that are going to lay in, play into that. And the um, as far as you know, team depth and talent up and down the Penguins roster. And, you know, we've talked about how at Hackstall has to be able to uh, to match that. And once again, I feel like a broken record saying it, but proper deployment of players on the ice is a crucial factor. And here's the thing, you know, the, we always talk about how fast the Penguins are. I've already talked about how fast the Penguins are on this um, <clears throat> excuse me, podcast. But they're like that up and down the roster. You know, like all four lines is a fast line. And I'm not saying like I'm not saying that the Philadelphia Flyers can't match that speed or match that talent per se, or at least be able to contain it. But you know, it, it is it is sort of a gray area. The lines are blurred, especially when you have you know, unfortunately, potential skepticism from the coaching staff on <clears throat> putting the right line out there, putting the right guys out there. You know, it's good to have a Couturier to throw out there against a guy like Malkin or a Giroux against a guy like Crosby and still have them have the ability to make plays on top of it, you know. But, you know, you have to think and be able to assess all the way down to all four lines of your team. Are you able to go out there and compete at the Penguins level or at the level of a Stanley Cup playoff team? And, you know, that is part of the problem is once you get – I feel the Flyers' top two lines can match head-to-head with that speed and strength play. Mm-hmm. But once you drop down to the third and fourth lines, you start to lose some of that speed. You get plenty of strength. Those, those are some big boys on your third and fourth oh, line I mean, there. For sure. I, like, like I said, I have I have no issue with the, you know, the, as far as the physicality aspect of this, these games are going to go. As a matter of fact, it's not so much an issue about it, more so it is a little concerning because it could get out of hand, especially with the nature of these two teams and this series. So we could be in for a bloodbath. But and, and that sounds nice for like you know, like, it sounds fun, and exciting for fans. It sounds nice for the rivalry, but as far as the, you know the integrity of the series and the game goes, it, it's it's just gonna it's nothing but you know mud in the waters here, you know. <laughs> You probably will probably get more quotes from Crosby going. Oh, I don't like him. It, it's on. Both, I don't like any of those guys. It's on. It's it's on both sides. I'll, I'll say I hold no bias on this. This is this is a you know this is a word battle, and that's not something that the Flyers team, you know, you were even for the Penguins. None of them heck can afford to get into it, because like I said, you know, in the playoffs, you know, you say it, I say it. We all agree. It's it's essentially a brand new season. And what better to have that great equalizer at that point where everybody sort of starts sort of new. Like some teams have a little bit more of an advantage, especially through, you know, home ice and just, you know, being able to deploy healthy rosters. But for the most part, everybody starts 
at the same level. And, you know, the playoffs are where, you know, dreams are made. Playoffs. Magic you know, happens. Playoff magic is born. You know, history is made as the the grandy old ad went back in 2010. But, you know, these these are all factors that go into, you know, a series like this. You know, you can't you can't afford to have a Flyers team lashing out when they feel like they've been slighted or, you know, the Penguins made a cheap shot or there was an uncalled penalty. You, you can't lose your form in a game like this because especially against a Penguins power play and a special team like that, you're going to you're going to lose your mind and you're going to lose the game. That's not you, you can't afford it. And neither can the Penguins because you know what? I am not saying that the Flyers have as equally a strong power play, but if executed well and within the right getting the right bounces and opportunities, the Flyers will do the same right back tenfold. So you know that is like a very huge, huge factor I see going into this series. It's just like the back and forth and just the almost the politics between two teams. And I think it's good. It's good for the television and for, you know, the hockey fans and the rivalry. But I am concerned about it taking away from the series, especially taking away from a potential Flyers victory. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Dave? It's definitely going to play a hand because, you know, in 2012, there was definitely, like, after the Flyers beat the Penguins, there was a lot of issues. Like, Claude Drew essentially pretty much admit that both his wrists were broken from slashes by Sidney Crosby, and he played that whole Devils series with broken wrists. So it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be bloody, battered, and bruised is what they say. You know, it's it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a, it's going to be it's going to be dirty hockey. But not in dirty in the sense of where it, you hope not there's going to be no illegal hits or anything. But it's, it's going to be that grinding, that taxing toll of hockey. And whatever team can get that edge on the other is going to win. This is this is the – this series is where you'll see the primitive side of hockey exemplified in, in the playoffs. And it, it sounds you know absolutely ridiculous because to an extent it is. But, you know, it it really is. This is probably going to be, like Dave said, a bruised and battered series. I think maybe if you're maybe looking for another example, I think maybe Boston and Toronto could be a rough one too. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it's going to get violent. And that's going it's, to... It's going to be hairy, and that's what I think played a role in the... The Flyers were able to have that edge and played smart while playing physical in 2012. This so far this year, like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, you know they didn't they they lost their composure. There was no balance to their composure. Ah, uh, yes, yes, we're making little puns and jokes about yeah. our well, we, we, local we, music scene. We are witty. We are witty fellows. Oh, you know. Thing on the fly, they say. <laughs> but you know, to kind of talk about that, though, like, because like I remember, you know, to go all the way back to 2012 and go to that playoff series, there was plenty of opportunities where it could have gone wrong. You know, like a lot of a lot of things went out of hand, and that was before the, the lockout in 2013 as well. And you know, I'm not gonna say that's gonna make a, a great difference in how this playoff series gets played now, but 
it, it's um it is interesting because like you know these there was a lot of things that went down like like hundreds and hundreds of penalty minutes served in that singular series and it, i'm not so sure especially you know in the game of hockey in 2018 in a 2018 playoff format how you know how that really is going to allow a team to find success you know the game that grows and the game gets faster, but even, you know, five, four or five short years, I'd say it's gotten that much faster. You know, it, it can happen really that quickly. And because of that speed, it's gotten more physical too, because now there's less, there's less mm-hmm. hitting, but when the hits do happen, they're much more violent. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's what better time than, you know, uh, in a playoff series like this, where tensions are already high, the stakes are heightened, you know, it, it's a, uh, it can be very much a recipe for a disaster, not only for safety reasons, for you know, for player versus player on you know a Penguins and a Flyers roster, especially if you're looking for a lengthy playoff run, you know that does pertain to having a healthy team, but also just for, like I say, the the integrity of the game and for a competitive, um, outlay book on the game, <clears throat> and when it comes down to it, I said this to Dave the other day, you know I think. You know, cooler heads do prevail. And I think that, you know, the discipline team is going to be the winning team in this series. Because, you know, how much longer can the Philadelphia Flyers sit here and essentially prolong or try to live out the idea of that Broad Street Boys mentality? And I think, you know, this team has made great strides into, you know, moving past that, showing respect to the, you know, the roots of where we come from, where we come from as fans and this organization. But moving forward and being able to adapt with the modern game too and beat, you know, modern day champions like the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, it is, there is something to be said about being, you know, two-time consecutive Stanley Cup champion in 2018. You know, that's... That's a pretty pretty big accomplishment. Those are those are goals looked up looked upon as like pre pre lockout or like pre millennium, you know, n- no cap or higher cap teams, like you said earlier about the Oilers. So <clears throat> it does have me concerned. I think that may be in, not solely, but maybe one of the biggest concerns I have going into this series is the discipline levels. You can't control what Pittsburgh does and how they manage their bench and how they play discipline or undisciplined. But the best thing you can do is you can control your own, right? Ensure the fact that you're playing a good game. You're playing a clean game and you're playing a disciplined game and you're allowing yourself to get in your team an opportunity to win the game in the series. And I think, you know, engaging into that kind of thing is only going to hold the flyers back. And, you know, it's, if he could even hold the Penguins back. Like I said, I think this series, maybe on paper, doesn't seem very even. But I do really believe it's a lot more even than what that paper would say. Well, the stats I have earlier, you know, the Penguins have the lead, but they're very close. Similarly, and they, they kind of trail back on composure and a team playing smart. Some of that also does depend on the referees. The NHL picks their best referees for the playoffs. 
you know, what's going to help in maybe keeping the game composed and keeping a series like this between, two, between such two bitter, hated rivals even is the referees on the ice and the linesmen making the appropriate calls and looking, you know, because eventually, you know how hockey players are. We get like this in a, even in our own men's league, you know. When the refs start to lose control of the game and they stop making calls is when all the little T-tech stuff gets in, in the hand, when players are taking the game in their own hands because they're saying, well, the refs not protecting my back anymore. So now I have to protect myself. And that's where you have issues start arising. That's when the game gets really violent and can get really hairy. But you know, also, another piggyback thing, you know, well, with how this series is going to be, you know, the rest of the Eastern Conference, and even some of the, maybe the Western Conference team that makes it the Stanley Cup final, you know, they're looking, they're licking their chops on this. They're saying Philly's either going to take out Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh's going to beat Philly, and they're going to be hurt. Because, you know, the winner of this series goes on and plays the Washington Capitals or the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, you know, this may be a gift in disguise to the Washington Capitals, you know, a team that's consistently had playoff failures when they were supposed to be a Stanley Cup champion team. You know, th- this could be the year maybe that, you know, that the Caps get over that hump, but we'll have to play and see, you know. You know, that's pretty much all I had to say about the Flyers and Penguins. Jake, you have anything else you want to add on that topic? Um, not to, not to bludgeon, you know, the, the temperament on the ice. I, you know, because I do have, Plenty of other factors I think that do play into the uh, into the game, but like other than that, you know, you know, we discussed that, you know, star power, what you want to call it, you know, the key players in the Philadelphia Flyers are going to come out, have to come out, and they're going to have to play, you know, and make a difference in these games, especially against an equally as powerful, or you know, if not more talented team, at least it's written down on a paper. That says that. But also, you know, like I said, we have that. We have, you know, the temperament on the ice. We have, you know, good coaching, you know, you know, proper deployment of lines. These are all very, very, very necessary factors that are going to lead into the Philadelphia Flyers being able to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it may, it may seem, you know, like nothing, or it may seem like, you know, annoying to listen to it so much, but like these are definitely things I I think I've seen plague this team before. You know, things that do in turn hold the Philadelphia Flyers back from advancing in a playoff series like this one. Because these two, you know, these two teams, when it really comes down to it, they're familiar with each other. They they know each other. There's a rich history here between two organizations. And, you know, it all comes out, it all comes out then, you know, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, there's no, there's no pulled punches. So the Flyers, I think, really need to band together, you know, and kind of, you know, adopt the mentality, you know, it's, it's now or never, you know, because like I said, round one, defending two times Stanley Cup champions, it's, it's a big deal, but we'll see how they do it. It's a very big deal, you know. That's going to include this uh, coverage on the Flyers and Pens for this series. Now we're going to go in a little more in our remaining time here, talk about maybe the rest of the league a little bit and the rest of the playoffs. Of course, in the, completing the rest of the matchups in the Eastern Conference, you have the Tampa Bay Lightning playing play the New Jersey Devils. Then you have the Boston Bruins playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then, like I said a couple minutes ago, you have the Washington Capitals playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Then now in the Western Conference, you have the Nashville Predators playing the Colorado Avalanche, the Winnipeg Jets playing the Minnesota Wild, the Las Vegas Golden Knights playing the Los Angeles Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, and the San Jose Sharks. There's a lot of good playoff matchups in there, and a lot, you know, this is going to be exciting hockey to watch. And, you know, going out of the East, I had my bracket all made up, you know, I, because, I, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a hockey fanatic. I do go all this ahead. I have Tampa Bay Lightning beating the, 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 the New Jersey Devils in five games. Taylor Hall has had one hell of a year. Don't even forget that. He's a Hart Trophy finalist. But the fact that he had such a disparity in a lead in points over the rest of his teammates is going to show in the playoffs. And the fact, I look at a lot of New Jersey's goaltending. Their backup goalie, Keith Kincaid, has come and played well in filling in for Corey Schneider. But I just I just look at Tampa Bay. They've got too many weapons. They're, they're crude, they're, they won the East for a reason. They've got Stankos, Kucherov. Braden Point, Victor Hedman, Vasilevsky, net. There's just they're supposed to be the team that's going to go somewhere out of the East, and the, I pegged them to be that team, and I had them being the Devils in five games. Uh, Boston, Toronto, it's going to be a, a series very, very similar to the Flyers and Penguins. It's going to be really gritty, really tough, intense hockey. I have the Toronto Maple Leafs being the Boston Bruins in seven games. I just think you know. The Maple Leaf skill adds up a little more than the Bruins does. The Bruins have some great young coming players. They have the most rookies play in the entire league this year. But I just think in Austin Matthews, a William Nylander, you know, a Mitch Marner, a Morgan Riley, they're going to come through. But then again, you know, you can't hold Boston out of the equation either because they've been there, they've done that, they've won the cup. They still have Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Zdeno Chara, Tuka Rask. I think. I, I do think that maybe Boston um, may pose a little bit of a similar issue going into a series against the Maple Leafs as the Flyers do maybe against a team like the Penguins. Um, <clears throat> not to compare the two organizations, but, you know, both teams I definitely think have like a similar mentality and maybe a similar approach going into a hockey game. And I, I think that Boston – has maybe, you know, a tendency or is at risk for maybe falling victim to a lot of the same maybe mistakes that the Philadelphia Flyers could fall victim to against the Penguins playing the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it should be interesting to see. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that Boston team, but, you know, there's equally enough talent on the Toronto Maple Leafs team. And, You know, I'll be the first to admit that, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers can have a tendency to play on discipline. But, you know, with that being said, so the Boston I see the Boston Bruins letting things get the best of them. I mean, Brad Marchand has had a, a, an excellent year for the Bruins. And I think he's very much, you know, led his team to the place in which they are now. They used to like a playoffs. But the problem is, with that being said, Brad Marchand has had a rich history of incidents in which his, you know, conduct and play on the ice was questioned, and by plays he's decided to make and or his he's decided to execute, and you know the respect or lack thereof for other players. There's been several this year. Just this year, it, it's just it, it's you know, I mean that's great that he can generate points and he can score goals for the Boston roster, especially as well as the rest of them, but he sure as hell can. 
put them in a hole. You know, with, with that with that kind of you know misbehavior and disrespect on the ice. Because you know what, other teams aren't going to have it, and the officials aren't going to have it because they know him. They have his number. He's got a history, and, and it's that's that could bring them down, especially against a really fast and a really young island or pardon the Islanders, <clears throat> Maple Leafs team. <clears throat> the Boston Bruins cannot afford to lose, Marshawn. There can't be any more. Seasonally, in that Sunday game against the Flyers that the Flyers won, he cross-checked Andrew McDonald in the face and got the max fine for it. Earlier in the year, he kind of threw a flying elbow on Johansson and the Devils. Mm-hmm. Things like that, where that got him in trouble, he can't do that in the playoffs at all if the Bruins want to succeed. And the last playoff matchup in the East is the Washington Capitals and the Columbus Blue Jackets. I have the Washington Capitals being the Blue Jackets in six games. I, you know, I think it's going to be a good, fast, fun series. There's going to be a lot of Russian stars. You know, you got Panarin and Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. It's going to be a strong, fun series. All right, so I guess I'll go over my uh, <clears throat> my picks for the 2018 Stanley playoffs for the East. So in the East, we have Pittsburgh. And Philadelphia, like we said, we talked about this a little earlier. I have Philadelphia beating Pittsburgh in about seven games. I think it's going to be a long, grueling process, perhaps, and it's going to be a tough, tough games. A lot of, <clears throat> a lot of intensity, but I do have the Flyers coming out on top. Um, so moving on to the <clears throat> Washington Capitals and the Columbus Blue Jackets, this is an interesting one. Because, I mean, I definitely think that the Washington Capitals, they are the, the strongest team in the matchup here. And they have probably the best chance of pulling the win out here. But I, I can see I can see Columbus, you know, kind of being a sleeper in this series. Like, we, you know, you have players like, you know, Panarin on the roster who, who can kind of like, you know, unsuspectedly, you know, creep into scoring areas and, you know, punish a team, you know, with, like, punishing wrist shots and just goals galore. <clears throat> so that could play a factor, and that sort of, at least for Columbus, helps match or offset having an Ovechkin shooting on their net. So that is definitely a factor that will bode well for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But, you know, as well as they have the the goaltending from Sergei Bobrovsky, you know, previous Vesna winner, and um, actually previous Flyers goaltender. <clears throat> but he's he is on any given night like that. I mean, consistency can be an issue with uh, Bob, but for the most part, I'd say he is a lights out goaltender, especially you know in in the playoffs. He's definitely kept this Columbus Blue Jackets organization in games. <clears throat> as far as the series win, I am going to take Washington over Columbus, and I'm going to say uh, I'm I'm disputing in my mind. I'm I want to say maybe. Five games, but I can see, I can see Columbus taking this to a sixth game. Um, specifically for the factors that I I named, like they do have, you know, a little bit of a, you know, like a secret weapon on offense. Well, not I wouldn't call Panarin a secret, but <clears throat> he definitely, you know, can go, you know, unsuspected when you know he matched up against Ovechkin and Oshie and. Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov. Sorry. Exactly. Kuznetsov. Um, 
So you, he does have a tendency. I feel like other fellow Russian snipers <laughs> can drown him out in the uh, in the limelight a little bit. But you know, I can see I can see Columbus taking this to a six game too. Um, it should be interesting. But I do I do definitely have the Capitals taking the Columbus out in about five or six games. <clears throat> so the next series is Boston and Toronto, and I chimed in a little bit on this series with Dave <clears throat> in the last. Uh, Discussion in this segment as far as his picks, but um, I'm gonna think, or I'm gonna say, just right straight up, I think that Toronto is going to win this series. <clears throat> but depending on what the timeline is for that, whether it's going to be five games or it's going to be six games or even a seventh game, it all depends on how very similarly to the Pittsburgh Philadelphia series this series gets played. You know, there is, there is, you know, not a rich history of animosity between Boston and Toronto. Like maybe there is Pittsburgh and Philly, but there is a history there. If you think back to 2013, they're both original six teams. Well, they're both well. original six teams. And you, you think about that playoff series, that round one series in the lockout year. And that collapse in game that seven. collapse where to, Toronto had them. They had them in the seventh game, and then they just they just crumbled. And, and Boston essentially just walked in. It was like, "Thank you. We'll call you from the second round, or we'll send you a postcard." You know, it, it's there's there is that maybe there is an underlying drive for the Toronto Maple Leafs to go and prove a point that you know what, we're not that team, and that's never going to happen again. So I think that that will bode well for the Maple Leafs, but also like I had previously mentioned. Undisciplined play by the Boston Bruins. Um, Toronto is a very young, fast team, like most teams. But you know, Toronto with the likes of Nylander, Marner, <clears throat> Matthews, like Dave had already said. But you know, they, they Boston can't afford to lose their cool after perhaps getting beat by a player like that. Because you know. You, you, you try to take a run at that player or you mistreat that player, you're going to get beat again because you're going to get beat on the penalty kill. And I don't know if Boston's penalty kill is strong enough to contain a Toronto Maple Leafs power play. You know, it, it's just they just seem to be that quick this year and they just kind of have it going for them. So I definitely think if I had to gauge, I want to say Toronto – in six, because I'll give Boston the credit. They're going to at least take both games at home or maybe a game at home and one game in Toronto. But I'm going to say probably Toronto in six, depending on how the series just goes and play. <clears throat> All right, so that goes to the last series for the East in the first round. That's against – or that is the New Jersey Devils against the Tampa Bay Lightning. See, this is an interesting one. Obviously, <laughs> I would say the majority of people have Tampa Bay beating New Jersey and having them beat them very quickly. I don't think so. I don't think that that's going to be a factor. I mean, I've said before, even on the previous broad, uh, podcast, that New Jersey mainly, you know, rode Taylor Hall with the help of Nico Hishier and, you know, consistent goaltending from time to time with from like guys like Keith Kincaid in the absence of Schneider. But I, I don't know if they can contain the, the Tampa Bay lightning with 
you know, Victor Hedman on defense. You have, you know, Steven Stamkos up front, Evgeny Kucherov up front. You know, lots of offensive talent that can just light this New Jersey team up. But, you know what, I'll give it to him because you, know, you can't rule out the underdog. Because, I mean, <laughs> we Flyers fans, we understand what, you know, going back to 2010, the last time we were able to clinch a playoff berth against the Rangers in the last game of the season. And, you know, everybody ruled us out. I mean, everybody thought that this was just going to be some joke and the devils of all teams would just take care of us then. And, you know, that team eventually went on to beat the Devils in five games, I believe, to reverse sweep the Bruins, beat the Canadians in six, and they did lose in the Stanley Cup final. But they surely, you know, exceeded expectations. So it should be interesting to see how New Jersey responds to maybe, you know, the lack of faith around the hockey community, if there is that, at least I think it's radiating from this table. But I have to... That hatred is a little biased. I... I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to say this is all just Jersey bashing, but to an extent, maybe it helps fuel the uh, the words coming from my mouth. But to be fair, to be fair, I'm going to say New Jersey is going to get a game. So I have Tampa Bay being New Jersey five games to one to one. So that's it for the East matchups. Now we go over to the Western Conference. You know, the first series, it's you, know, you have Nashville and Colorado, um, one of our good friends and dump and change ice hockey teammate, Jason Coley, is not going to be a fan of me when I say this, but I had the Nashville Predators beating the Colorado Avalanche in six games. Are you sure? Does he have Colorado Avalanche beating I mean, the we'll Nashville have, Predators? Well, I talked to Jason. Maybe we'll have to have Jason come on one day. He told me last night. But, you know, Nashville is just, you know, they're my pick to go to the second power out of the Western Conference. And they're actually my pick to win the Cup. Not to spoil anything as we make our way down our bracket here. But, you know, it's just – Nashville's just such a good team. And it's a shame they ran to Pittsburgh last year. You know, if Pekka Rene could make a save in Pittsburgh, Nashville won, wins that Cup <laughs> last we're, year. We're, we're going to get more uh, dispute from Jason over this. But, you know, I I, I don't think that it was characteristic of Pekka Rene. I think he's – Definitely better than those performances in Pittsburgh. And unfortunately, that did play a big factor into costing his team the Stanley Cup. But I, I think maybe this year, Pacarina is, you know, kind of back to prove a point where he's maybe, you know, back to settle the score and get back to the Stanley Cup final and hopefully bring a cup to Nashville. But we shall see how that plays out against, you know, the Colorado Avalanche because, you know, they still do have a lot of talent up front. They have, you know, a Nathan McKinnon, and they still have a Gabriel Landeskog that can, you know, shoot pucks. Well, you know, where I have the Nashville being the abs is that Nashville is such a deeper team because once you have Colorado, you have that one line of McKinnon, Renton, and Landeskog. Then once you take McKinnon out of the equation – Jason's even said this, said this himself. The rest of the line can't do anything. Right. They don't really have any of their parts in their system. Mm-hmm. Barlamov's hurt. They're starting going. So they're going with Jonathan Bernier in that. Eric Johnson, their best defenseman's out. So they're putting more emphasis on guys like Nikita Zadorov, on a, on a Tyson Berry, you know, on, on a Samuel Gerrard. 
And there's a lot of inexperience. It'll be good experience for the Avs, but I've got the Preds in five. What? what, what I, I don't. I'm not disagreeing with you, but what, I, what I'm saying is, I was I was more so trying to base it off of like the Pecorino point is because like that is like Pecorino. I think like is an ex- I think he is an exceptional goaltender, and I do think he's you know a Stanley Cup champion caliber goaltender, and I think he's you know very much determined to get to that point again. But here's where it can fault him because Pecorino, like you said, couldn't couldn't really make a save in Pittsburgh, you know, to save his life in the final last year. But also a lot to be said to that is just the amount of shots, like the amount of looks that people got on Pecorino that the Penguins were able to get. You know, they 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 hit him from all sides. You know, like they they didn't give him an opportunity to you know, read the play per se, like they were putting it on them. And like, I think, you know, Colorado obviously is not as deep a team and not as I'll say, you know, maybe even as talented a team as Nashville, but you know, they have, they have some shooters and like, if all it takes is a goal or like two goals to kind of open up the floodgates. And I think if Colorado is going to have an advantage in this series, it's just kind of putting shots, on Rene, finding ways to get through that Nashville defense. That's a big one. Getting past guys like PK Subban and Roman Yossi. And Roman Yossi. Matias at home. Exactly. It's gonna be it's gonna be a task. But if they can if you can maybe get goals on Rene, I can see I can see him kind of, you know, suffering from that. And I can I can see Colorado using that to their advantage to, you know, take over games and gain the momentum and maybe even win hockey games in this series. You never know. Like I said, with the Jersey Tampa Bay series, you know, you can never rule the underdog out. That's good. The next uh, series in the uh, West is Winnipeg and Minnesota. Kind of close to your after these. It's going to be another physical, heavy, hard series. But um, I got my money on Winnipeg in this one. I'm saying Winnipeg in six. Maybe even seven. It's gonna be it's gonna be some good hockey. Winnipeg's a fun team to watch. Yeah, you know, they've they've got their their new sniper and Patrick Laine. There's Mike Shifley. They got Big Buff Tyler Myers, Truba. I think he's still hurt, but you know, Hellebuck and that. It's gonna be a good series. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a good series too. <laughs> Here it goes again. I think Winnipeg is another team that like they're an incredibly talented team and they have a lot of like very offensively minded, quick players. But when you have that element, especially on the back end with like guys like Dustin Bufflin, like big, big old buff, you like to call him. He, he, he is, he's definitely a bruiser. Like that guy has a tendency to take his shots when he wants to. And that's not necessarily meant to say that like Dustin Bufflin is a dirty player or that like he has like, you know, a low class, you know, element. He's, def- to his he's definitely game. gotten more composure to his game as he's gotten older. But I do worry, at least for Winnipeg's uh, sake, on like Dustin Bufflin being able to keep his cool, maybe if tensions get high in a series like that. Because, like, you know, Minnesota versus Winnipeg, those are two, you know, good, pretty quick West Coast teams, but also they're like big teams. You know, those are, there's a lot of big bodies on that team. And, like, it's definitely like it's a checking series. It's it's a it's a lot of board play, and 
you know, there has been instances where I feel like, you know, Buffalo's taken some certain liberties that maybe have cost his team. And, you know, he's got to be able to, to reel it in. Um, Minnesota, what do you say about them? <laughs> you know, like, they're, 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 I feel like they're either on or they're off. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to tell. And that they're another team, like, you know, it depends on health and, you know. And they had a big injury now, Suter. He's, he's done until next season. I, I, I think that's maybe the trouble that Minnesota is going to have. Or I definitely think that that's going to play a negative effect on their ability to beat the Jets. Um, because like Suter is a big piece, of, especially of their defense and just their team, so that's why I'm a little skeptical in Minnesota's ability to to pull out a series win. But it should be an interesting one. I think it's going to be a little closer than you think it's going to be, though, because I think they're pretty pretty evenly matched teams. I have it six or seven. Six. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like I you know, maybe I thought that you were going to go like four or five. No, no. I think Minnesota, you know, they've got some good players. They're definitely weak on defense without Suter because they don't really have any big gun back on defense. But I think it's just going to be so heavy and so hard. And Devin Dubnik, Devin Dubnik has definitely found he found his career in, in Minnesota. Right. But, you know, it's, it's going to be a nice, fun game. Yeah. A, a fun series, I should say. There's a, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to like about that series. That series, to me, I like it because for, these, for this reason. There's a lot of skating. In that series, there's gonna be like it, that's gonna be a consistent like that's gonna be like one of those playoff games that you just kind of watch and you're just waiting for a whistle, and you're not gonna get a whistle until you get that whistle. You know what I mean? Mental. Like it's it, that where like it's like a it's like a big hit or there's you know there's some you know animosity in the corner. Like they're they're just two quick teams and you know like there's you know all the teams in the West are quick and they all have talent, but I think. I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be entertaining. It's gonna be probably one of the more faster ones. Yep. Now heading our way, you know, we're thinking a little bit here on time, so I can, let's try to wrap this up a little bit, you know. But um, we got Vegas and LA. I've got LA in five or six, and I just put it on their experience. You know, who would have thought that Vegas Golden Knights would have been this good and won the Pacific Division in their first year in existence? You know, they had market they had Florianette was fantastic. James Neal had a good year. Marshall Show had a good year. Who would have thought William Carl- Carlson would have become a forty goal scorer when his previous career high was like nine? Um I I'm I'm not sure if I agree at all. Um What do you think? But the thing is Vegas definitely has more speed. But I think the Kings have been there, done it. They still have Jonathan Quick and Net. And this is Jonathan Quick's. This is when he shines. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? You could say the same thing about Vegas. They have a still like a winning goaltender. They do. They have Mark Andre Fleury. That's why I have a pin at six or seven. You know, like it, when I was making my bracket up, this was a really hard decision for me because I'm like kind of torn. It's like, do I want to go with the newcomers to Vegas or do I want to go with the Kings, who have been there and done that? And I just, I just looked at, I just. You know, I tried to use my hockey brain, not my hockey heart, because you know I do have a soft. There's a soft spot in my heart for the Kings, but you know it's um it's gonna be interesting. I just think the Kings have such such had, had such a rebound year from last year, mm-hmm. and I just think their experience overall, because the the Vegas Golden Knights have a lot of inexperienced players. 
but their more important players are the ones who have experience. But that's really only a David Perron kind of, definitely James Neal, and more so the most important one is Mark Andre Fleury. Other than that, Derek England maybe. Now I, I just pin it. I pin it on the Kings in this series just because they've won Stanley Cups. They've won them recently. They know how to do it. It's it's more over. It's the, the core of their team that won those two cups is still there, except for other players that have retired or are no longer in the league. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I, I think it kind of goes the other way. Honestly, I, I have Vegas in that. Um, <laughs> which especially uh, for somebody like me, who I feel like was very critical of the idea of Las Vegas getting a hockey team. And it, it definitely has, you know, at first irked me over the season, how like how good they are, like in their inaugural season in the league. And, um, but I'm going to give, I'm going to give them the credit that they deserve. Like they've came out, like nobody expected them to do. And they just took the lead league by storm. You know, they having like a, like a landmark, a historical, you know, first season in the league. You know, it's been years, if ever, that the league has seen a team come in as, you know, their first year, their first year as an organization of existence and do that. So, you know, and I think that all that all counts for something, you know, and then also with that being said, I think with the different players on that team, you know, younger players, veteran players, I think, there is like a good core of talent and experience, especially through like having James Neal, who's been on, you know, winning Pittsburgh teams and he's played. He's on that national squad last he's year. He's on the national squad last year. Or having like, you know, Mark Andre Fleury, who is a Stanley Cup winning goaltender with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Three cups. Three cups with the Penguins. And, you know, he, I thought that maybe Fleury's career was sort of on a down low, but, um, he seems to have have had a resurgence or so in Vegas, you know, or had an ability to kind of just turn it around. So, you know, you never know. I, I think – I definitely think that maybe Vegas – not that maybe, but Vegas is going to take it. Um, in the length of games, I don't think it's going to be a short series. Like, I might agree with you. It's maybe like six or seven. Six or seven. I, I don't know. Like, if, if Vegas – plays really well and generates a lot of offense. I feel like Vegas could probably take it. Maybe well, I give Vegas the advantage games. is speed. They're a faster team than the Kings. If, if the, if what I'm saying is like if the Vegas Golden Knights can go into a game against the Kings and get a lead on them, right? Like if they can, if they can put shots and like put, you know, score goals in the Kings early and kind of just build on that. Well, same goes for the Kings and the Vegas. Well, I understand what you're saying. It seems kind of redundant, but like, the Kings are a team where I feel like they're they do best like when they score first for sure. Like are they're definitely like a team who they have like the best performance in a game that they feel like they're in. Like I feel like they're sort of I most likely say this because it, it's not this vendetta. I feel like Dave's gonna look at me in the eyes when I say this. I Jonathan Quick. I I give him all the credit in the world, but I don't. I think Jonathan Quick may be one of the more temperamental goaltenders in the league, and I I feel like the more emphasize and clarify my point. 
Vegas, if they're able to come in and put shots on and get goals on Jonathan Quick and rattled and get him rattled, that is not going to be good. That's not going to be good for the Kings. I think that's going to actually play a really negative effect on their ability to win hockey games. And I think that's just going to allow Vegas to come in and win those games. So more so, Kings play well when Jonathan Quick plays well and when Quick's head is sort of in the game. If the Kings or the Golden Knights can throw him off and just start like putting shots and goals on him, I, I don't I don't see them them losing. Yeah, maybe <laughs> taking it to seven games. But so that would be know. something for the Vegas Golden Knights to go to the, se- the semifinals in their first year of history. And then last but not least, our last series in the Western Conference is Anaheim and San Jose. This is your familiar tale. They have met many times the past couple of years. And I have the Anaheim Ducks in six games. I am going to put San Jose on another typical of San Jose playoff failure. Yeah, they've improved greatly with Anvander Kane coming over, who seems he's finally found a home in the league right now. At least in the short term, he's found a home in San Jose. But I just think San Jose's core is getting – I mean, you can never really count Brent Burns, but their their core is getting old. They're going to have to rebuild or retool soon in San Jose. And even the Ducks, two big superstars, and Perry and Getzloff are getting old, their remaining core is young. John Gibson and Nett, Cam Fowler – Campus Lindholm, you know, now they have um, the center they got from New Jersey earlier in the year in the semi in trade, Adam Henrique, they have Henrique, uh, Ricard Raquel, they've got more pieces, they have Steve Bondor back on, on D, you know, they've got some good pieces in play there where I just think Anaheim's a little bit of a faster team. They're both, I'd say they're equal in heaviness, but ultimately I give the edge in goaltending. I think Jonathan Gibson is a better goalie than Martin Jones. And I think this is going to be Gibson's time to really shine the play. You're going to see finally a, a series where Gibson's going to be able to stand up and be healthy and be well. So, like I said, I've got the Ducks in six. Um, I I don't know. Um, I think mm, this is an, this is another hard series to kind of think about because they're in a way they're very similar teams. Just the Ducks are just younger, and they have a younger they have a younger core in place to build upon, where the Sharks don't really have that. I don't know. Whatever. Also, the Sharks are also unhealthy right now. There's Joe Thornton is still right. out of the lineup. Um, the thing is, I don't know whatever answer I come up with for this series, if I even really believe that. Because it could be the other way. But exactly. But like, I think here, here's what I'll say about it. <laughs> and you know, not to to beat a dead horse, but the Ducks, another team, another team that's got to watch it. Like, I think if you know, if San Jose can come in and obviously play well, like most sweet teams should come in and play well. But if San Jose can come in, play a good game, and, you know, put put shots on John Gibson, and more so if you can find ways to kind of get under the skin of a Getzloff or a Perry, the Ducks, will, oh, they the will disintegrate. Like, in, even, even, even a Ryan Kessler, I'll say it, that is the biggest concern I have for the Anaheim Ducks, more so. Like, I think that I would probably give the edge to the Ducks over the Sharks if there wasn't a potential, like, temperament issue between Perry, Getzloff, and Kessler on the ice. Those guys have a tendency to kind of just 
you know, Screw as I like as I like to say, let the game get away from them. You know, and they they have to find ways to play discipline, and they they really have to keep it keep it cool because if they don't, th- those three guys are three people that their team definitely relies on most for sure. Like Perry, you know, being like arguably one of the more elite goal scorers in the league the last ten years, and Getzloff being the captain and the leader of the team. You know, the, the, you can't watch these guys. You know like Kessler, veteran presence in their locker room, you can't watch them just succumb to bad habits and succumb to reckless play and just the in-between whistle nonsense. And if the Sharks can come in and take advantage of that, I I think that the Ducks are going to have a very, 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 very hard time. Other than that, I would definitely have the Ducks in maybe like six or seven games for sure because they're a pretty evenly matched team. But I definitely think that, you know, Kessler and Getzloff and Perry need to keep their noses clean. Another factor is Gibson has a problem with staying healthy. So the Sharks, they can get contact on Gibson, legally contact, but make him uncomfortable. What are you referring? Or inferring, rather. Well, I'm I'm just saying, I'm inferring that Gibson has had, he's had an injury riddled season. Not so much as a drill season. I'm more so talking about what are you inferring about the Sharks, my friend. Well, I'm saying, like, the Sharks have got some chippy players. You know, if, if they find a way to maybe get a little, oops, sorry, didn't see their bumps in on, on Gibson, you know, right on a little bit, shuttle his cage, you know, maybe they'll find a screw that's loose, per se, and maybe it'll, it'll be an issue. You know what I mean? It, it, it could pose a threat because he's had, a, he's had a hard time staying healthy. That's all I say about it. Yeah, I am. Um... I definitely, I think you and me are on the same page about this series. But, you know, like I said, like what concerns me is the Ducks, you know, playing discipline. And I do agree that the, you know, the the absence of Joe Thornton on the Sharks team definitely makes it harder for them, you know, because not only he, he's important on the ice, but I think he's important in his locker room too. Um, so it's going to be tough for them to do it without Jumbo. But if if the Sharks, you know, have anything they in their basket, you know, or in their, their tool belt, they can definitely find ways to to kind of unstabilize a game and kind of let, you know, said players on the Ducks kind of like lose their cool and allow it to penalize their team and take advantage of that. So we shall see. We shall see indeed. Uh, we'll go over the picks for this in the second round the sem- in the semifinal. Of course, once all the quarterfinal plays wrap up, that's going to do it for another for this episode of Five and Major Radio. Um, I hope you guys have a have a great rest of your week. Have a great night and uh, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs.